there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everybody. Doc Herbert here. Welcome to your weekly installment of the Platinum Sabero podcast. It is only fair to let you know that we recorded this on Thursday before the news of the Will Smith signing broke. So there are likely going to be a couple of things in this episode that we would have worded a little bit differently if we'd been privy to that information. So if you're hearing this disclaimer on the morning of Friday, November 15th, there will be an emergency podcast coming out later today where we break down the Smith signing. We will do our best to keep the Fresh Prince jokes to a minimum. Also, if you're hearing this later in the day on November 15th or any time after that, as soon as you get done listening to this episode, which does have plenty of non-Will Smith-related content, Feel free to head over to that episode and allow us to regale you with tales about our newest reliever. Thank you again for listening. We love you guys. Now let's hear those beeps. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One. Fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody. It is episode number 89 of the Platinum Zabero Podcast. We are so glad that you have decided to join us again. My name is Adam Herbert, but you know me as Doc. Today, I will be playing the role of Roger Dorn. With me, as always, is Dylan Short, reprising his role as Willie Mays Hayes. We have a lot to get into today, but first thing that we need to talk about is your virility. Erectile dysfunction is a lot of things. It can be hilarious, but for the most part, it is tragic, especially if it's happening to you. And if it is happening to you then Blue Chew is designed for you. It's not like any of these comically oversized horse pills where you need to take an entire bucket of water to swallow. It's a little blue orb you chew up and it works twice as fast as the competition. The whole point is to be ready to go ASAP, so when your lover wants attention, you can be at attention. Go to bluechew.com, use our promo code armchair to get your first order of Blue Chew for free. You pay $5 for shipping and that's it. Comes in a discreet package so your neighbors will not know that you need the boost and neither will your mailman. When given the choice between the red pill and the blue pill, always choose the blue pill. We can't guarantee the sex you have will be great, but at least you'll be able to have it. After you woo-boo, you can do-boo with Blue Chew. Okay, so, as I alluded to, we have a lot to cover this week. 
it is the off season, so the news is trickling out at a different pace than it usually is. This happens to be awards week, and they are announcing MVP tonight. We're recording this on Thursday, so we'll have a better idea of the MVP, whether or not Ronald Acuna wound up getting any votes there. Mike Soroka, on the other hand, just this week wound up finishing second in the Rookie of the Year voting and sixth in the Cy Young. Dylan, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a pretty, pretty good spot for him to be, or should he have gone higher? No, I think it's a good spot. I mean, you can talk about whether you think it's more impressive to suppress the home run in the juice ball era, and in a vacuum it is. Uh, but when you look at what Pete Alonso did as far as breaking the rookie home run record sent by or set by Uber star Aaron Judge, he did it in in, in City Field. Um, you, you, I, I would have gone Alonso myself. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it was a Bay Area guy that voted for Soroka, but. I don't think it diminishes what Soroka did, even though I don't know that I... Soroka was at that weird case where he pitched a lot last year, and if he hadn't gotten hurt last year, he wouldn't have been eligible for Rookie of the Year this year. So I'm kind of... I'm always a little bit weird about that, about somebody who got basically half a season on the big league roster the season before, about even considering them a Rookie of the Year. It's almost like when a a 30-year-old comes over from Japan. Like, I don't really count them as a rookie, you know what I mean? That's actually, that's a pretty strong argument. Alonzo, his his case for this year was really interesting because he was a rookie that wound up not having uh, any manipulation of his service time. He made the Mets opening day roster and he, he really wound up rewarding them. You also make a really good point about City Field. I mean, when Judge broke McGuire's record, record, he did it playing in Yankee Stadium, which is super tiny. City Field It's is, a Little League ballpark. Yeah. It is a 100% Little League ballpark that... Mark Teixeira broke his bat and hit it out to, to right field, if that tells you anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you have City Field on the opposite end of the spectrum. And, you know, it's easy to hate on the Mets. I, I, I try and do it all the time. But one, one thing is for sure. I mean, Pete Alonso was a really likable guy. It, these, these, none of these were fluke home runs. You saw what he did during the home run derby. I mean, he basically just put the entire league on notice. And more and more, you see a, a lot of focus put on overall value. You have five... Five tool players, it's not just, you know, the guys that can go out and mash anymore like Alonzo, but it it never is not impressive to see somebody go out there and hit 50-plus home runs over the course of a season, especially somebody who's a rookie. And even if he's not a great defender, you know, this this is not necessarily meant to be a reflection of the of the full. He, he just, he hit the wow factor. And, you know, we talked so much about Mike Soroka this season and how everything he was doing is impressive. And, yeah, when home runs are being hit at a record rate and he is really keeping them in the ballpark as good as anybody, what he did was impressive. But truthfully, what Alonzo did was, I think, even more impressive. And then when you start looking at the Cy Young, which was also won by a Met, Jacob deGrom, for the second consecutive year, the competition was going to be much stiffer for Cy Young because you also you're stacking up against Scherzer and Strasburg, Hyunjin Ryu, Jack Flaherty finished ahead of Soroka as well. For a kid that finished the season at 22, I think that a sixth place, sixth place finish in the Cy Young is pretty impressive in its in its own right. So, I don't know. Uh, he he wound up getting a couple of third place votes, I think, but but nobody considered him for for first. I mean this this was Degrom, and they shouldn't have. This was DeGrom's they shouldn't have. Place. Yeah, Degrom is the best pitcher in baseball. I actually think that he's a more talented pitcher than Garrett Cole. Uh, I know what Garrett Cole did last season, but I would take Degrom over Garrett Cole. Um, Scherzer, Strasburg, those guys were both incredible. 
Uh, Hinjin Ryu was his typical self. He kind of fluttered a little bit at the end, but even with his flutterings, you should check out his numbers. He's not been he's not been talked about enough. We'll we'll rectify that a little bit in this episode, but there were a lot of good pitchers. There's there's a question about Jack Flaherty just because the first half of his season was was not good, it was very blah. Uh, and that that could have been a little bit of a recency bias, but when you see what Jack Flaherty did in the second half, you can kind of understand it a little bit. And Soroka did tire out at the end. Uh, Soroka's ERA did finish above four, so by your traditional Cy Young type of metrics, he he wasn't going to win anyway, and that's okay. I mean, Braves fans obviously want to see their guys win, but not. I don't want to see it at the point of of just overlooking what everybody else does because there were a lot of great players in Major League Baseball this year. Soroka is one of them, and he'll win a Cy Young. I'm very confident he'll win at least one Cy Young in his career, but this year wasn't the year. And that's fine. And and you can even, you know, there were people that were making a huge case about Acuna winning MVP, which he had a really, really good season until he, he kind of hit the skids. I guess it was late August. And you know, when you're when you're realistically looking at, at the prospect of a 40-40 season and that deep into it, I mean, you make a strong case, but at the same time, that discounts Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Anthony Rendon, the guys around him that are having really good seasons, too. And we wanted Ozzy to be the starting second baseman in the All-Star game. We wanted him to win the gold glove, but that totally discounts Cattell Marte and Colton Wong. I mean, there there are some really, really amazing and talented guys out there, so... One day, Acuna will win an MVP, but it won't be this year. One day, Soroka will win a Cy Young, but it's not this year. So, it's unfortunate, but our guys are well represented. If this was 1984 and pitcher wins still still mattered, Max Fried would have won Cy Young, but, you know, it's not 1984, so we can, we can move right along there. Sorry, big brother. Yeah, right? But we also, we have the GM meetings that are going on right now, and it's kind of a primer for the winter meetings that'll come up around this time next month. This is where you start to see a lot of groundwork get laid for off-season deals. I think it was at the GM meeting a couple years ago when the Braves rebuild wound up getting kicked off in earnest. That's when Jason Hayward got traded to the Cardinals. That, God, can you believe that was almost five years ago? So I've, I tried to block that entire year out of my memory banks. <laughs> That was that was rough times. That was really lean times. Actually, the and he was the first one that that went. Like I think that made it worse. It's like you're you're just doing your thing. Everything's fine and dandy. You wake up the next day. Wait, what? Jason Hayward's gone. What? And it was uh, Tommy Lastella for Arodis Vizcaino happened the day before. And my my dad and I had this long running joke about about Tommy Lastella and then the day he got traded we were both just like oh no this really hurts and the next day like you said it's like oh god this is going to get so much worse before before it gets any better so i don't think that we had a had a full scope of what what we were really in for when this happened so even if it makes you feel like that it just makes you feel like that Kai, uh, that Kawhi Leonard hey 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 hey, hey. right <laughs> right and so, so now the way that the that off seasons kind of go, even even in the five years since the Hayward thing happened, the the timing of of off seasons is shifting. So, even if you don't see anything big happen this week or or at the winter meetings, like I said, this is where the the groundwork gets laid for, for a lot of deals like that. So, when we start thinking about GMs and start thinking about RGM, it was also this week in 2017 that Alex Anthopoulos came on board, and. It seems like yesterday, it really, really does seem like everything that happened with Kevin Maiton and the whole international sanctions and 
and all of that, that getting passed down, and there was this really scary point where we didn't know what was going to happen. Copy had been the general for the longest time, and he was gone. So in the two years since Anthopolis took over, you know, Braves have won the NL East twice, one of which was actually both times, I suppose, it was a huge surprise because the Braves weren't really supposed to do anything this year. How would you grade him out in, in the time since he took over? It's a good question. I mean, every, everybody obviously wants to give him, you know, an A. or, or there, there seems to be a lot of people that want to go A or C. I think I'd give him a solid grade. Um, somewhere around a B plus to an A minus. I'm not going to give him a full A because there are some things that should have been addressed earlier than they were and they weren't. And, you know, it, this is all subjective grading. Um, I mean, he, he's done a good job with the extensions with Acuna and Ozzy, obviously. Um, he's been a lot more passive than I would have expected or would have preferred, especially especially this season. If you had asked me this coming into this season, it probably would have been a, a different grade. Um, probably not after that offseason. I'll, I'll say a B plus. I think that's about right. I mean, you you certainly can't discount the fact that he he has presided over two division championships, but you kind of have to wonder how much of that would have just happened anyway because he didn't he didn't make any trades whatsoever the first offseason that he came over outside of the the Matt Kemp salary dump, which was a pretty pretty creative deal, all things considered. You know, there's there's going to be some good and some bad. I don't feel like he's necessarily made any bad trades, but there are some good trades that he didn't make. You know, you, you start looking at, like, the JT Romuto trade and having to give up, you know, Philadelphia gave up Sixto Sanchez, who even with the, the injury history very highly touted. It's not dissimilar to the Braves going after Max Freed in the Justin Upton deal. You don't get Max Freed if he's not hurt at the time, and you saw last year what he can be. So there's still, I think that we've all been kind of bracing ourselves for the giant prospect deal. We started to see it a little bit at the trade deadline. You know, the Joey Wentz and Travis Demerit is is probably the, the biggest one, which all things considered isn't that big in the scope of what we're used to seeing from him. Seeing Colby Allard get traded was, was kind of weird as well because he was the first draft pick of the rebuild. So I would give him probably a B-plus or an A-minus. This this particular offseason is going to be interesting because now, when he took over, there was so much uncertainty. But now, they're like right on the cusp of something great. I mean, they were um, <laughs> they were a successful locking down of game four away from moving on to the NLCS and and who knows what would have wound up happening after that but I think he's done a pretty good job of helping to repair the image I mean this entire franchise was in shambles when when he took over and he had a lot of positive rehabilitation to do with the team's image and I think he's done a good job of that I mean and if he's got to be a little vanilla for that to happen and not just be like super aggressive talking about you know he gets drilled down on about a lot of certain things but I think that's kind of a symptom of society anymore everybody wants to microanalyze everything everybody says so when you get aside from people's actual reactions to it and what he what he has actually done I think he's done a pretty serviceable job but I am really hoping that this offseason is the one where he gets a little bit more into Toronto, Alex, you know, let's trade some prospects, let's shift some things around, let's go get some type of mega talent to supplement everybody that's already here. Because I think that's, it's going to take big strokes like that to, to get this team to the next level. So, And I agree. That's that's what 
that's kind of why I didn't want to give him a grade at this point because he hasn't really he didn't really have to. Uh, first year coming in, I mean, the team was in such shambles, and there was the surprise division championship uh, last year. You were the defending champ, and you won again, so you didn't really have to chase anybody. But this year, there's somebody to actually chase. This year, there's not really an excuse for him to sit idle. It's not like you can just say, they can say, yeah, we won the division again, but literally no one cares about winning the division when a team in your division wins the World Series. And if you do, uh, you're weak. But <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. If you're, touting a divi- if you're touting a division championship when a team in your division that you handled all year won the World Series, you need to get your priorities straightened out. Um, but but for Alex, this this is going to be the big tell year. He's he's had plenty of time to gather his thoughts on the minors and and the the guys in the prospect pool over here. So he knows which guys he thinks are are better than the others. He knows there's a ton of guys that are out there that are available. Guys that a few years ago would not have been available. Guys like Mookie Betts, guys like Chris Bryant, you Darvish, Javi Baez, a lot of Cubs actually on that list. Uh, but but there's a lot of top-end players, especially when you consider Francisco Lindor as well. There's a ton of high-impact super stud players that are available. And for a team like the Braves, there's not really a reason not to target one. And you can tell me, oh, the Braves aren't a big market team. I know they're not, and it's annoying that they're not. But guess what? They're also not spending a lot of money on their own people. They have plenty of money, despite being a small market team, because everybody's on rookie contracts. If they're going to go after somebody, this is the type of season where you do it. You've got you've got to make a jump quick, because we saw... While that lineup is fine for a regular season, it's not going to bear down in the postseason, especially if they're all playing 155 games. There's no telling what's going to happen with Josh Donaldson. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit. But this is one of those off seasons where Alex has to stop playing it safe. And this is one of those things that I've been kind of holding back in reserve as far as my judgment of Alex Anthopoulos because he's been so passive. I And I've mentioned it before on this show more than once that I, I do sometimes worry that a lot of the trades that he made in Toronto may have may have scared him a little bit as far as making big deals, as far as getting burned on big deals. So uh, we'll see what happens this offseason. And until the offseason's over, I'm, I've got a little bit of faith. I know that there's a lot of people that they're talking to and a lot of, uh, a lot of different targets they have right now. But it, it's all going to come down to how aggressive they want to be. And for me, well, I'll, I'll keep a casual glance. And if he does something that I love, you guys will hear about it. If he does something I hate, you guys will hear about it too. Um, but here's hoping that it's going to be something that we're all going to love. No doubt. And and the Donaldson thing really kind of it's the it's the biggest thing at this point because if they if they wind up going after him or going back after him, you know they're probably going to have to go a third year and they're probably going to have to pay him more than they paid him this year. Now, I we saw how much of a cog he can be for this offense. We saw he fits perfectly behind Freddie. He fits the team vibe. He fits everything right there. But you also have a lot of competition. You're looking at the Rangers, the Phillies, the Nationals, the Dodgers are apparently involved now, which is, oh, good. You know, if there's anything that the Dodgers need, it's it's the ability to spend more money. So, you know, you can make a case to where he could wind up any number of places and that that could wind up being a good or bad thing for Atlanta. Like I said, you know he obviously is going to fit in this lineup, but... He is what the entire offseason hinges on, because if he goes and he signs with the Rangers or whoever, then that f- does free you up $25 million to fill multiple holes. Mike Moustakas is another name out there that you could wind up putting at third. It is a step down as far as production, even though Moustakas is, is very valuable. 
but it also will free up approximately 10 to 12 million dollars to fill other holes to go after somebody like Grandall if you want to wind up doing a trade for a Lindor, Bryant, Betts type player or if you want to go the pitching route then you know you can you can absolutely do that so this Donaldson was one of the he's the biggest move that Anthopolis has made on the free agent market since he came here so you know one one kind of goes with the other what is the maximum deal that you would give to Donaldson before you just start to say that's too rich for me and I got to walk away I mean it kind of again it goes back to the off season if if you can assure me that the Braves are going to be aggressive then I'm not going to re-sign him. I'm going to use him to get the pick, and I'm going to get the. I'm going to use that pick to be able to go after somebody like, say, Zach Wheeler, somebody who's got a ton of upside that has a qualifying offer attached. But if I'm just trying to bring Josh Donaldson back, um, I could go 25 a year for two years. But if I'm talking, if I go beyond two years, your salary's going down because that third year. Chances are it's it's not going to be great. Chances are that decline happens, especially if the DH is not already in the National League by that point. Josh is a guy that I'm amazed he stayed as healthy as he did last year. He hasn't been especially healthy the last three years. Um, but there's no doubt he put up a great season. There, there is just that point of diminishing returns. And for the Braves this offseason, I think the pick attached to Josh Donaldson is going to be more valuable than the difference between Donaldson and another third baseman you can get. You mentioned Mike Moustakas, and that's a good one to bring up. Uh, Chris Bryant is another one. He is fully available. It just depends if you want to spend the capital on him. That, that to me, is the big question. If you're nervous about trading people, then sure, go up to three years and, what, three and 70, maybe? Three and 66, something, something around there. Um but if you're telling me that you're all in this season and that it's World Series or bust this year, then let somebody else sign him for the QO. Take their pick. Um, use your go sign somebody like Zach Wheeler or somebody else with a qualifying offer that you really think can really help you. It's not going to be Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg, so don't get excited about that. But you can go sign Zach Wheeler, bring him into this, uh, bring him into this rotation, and you've got a guy with high high impact stuff, a guy who's been way better than the surface numbers would indicate over the past couple of seasons. And go out and, and make yourself a, a net positive, even though you'd be losing a player as good as Donaldson. With Austin Riley, every level that he has been at, he has proven his ability to adjust. Now, it's kind of difficult to say that, considering he struggled so much in the second half, but I would not be surprised to see him show up this coming year having worked on off-speed, having done the thing that he does at every level and continue to adapt. One advantage that you have over Riley, if you if you opt to deploy him instead of Donaldson, just for the sake of argument, that does save you $25 million. Even, I mean, Moustakis is the proven commodity, but even, even still, he's going to cost you 10 a year, 12 a year, somewhere around there. Riley's going to be making league minimum for the next... Two years at least. So unless he, he winds up becoming an extension candidate, which would hinge on the fact that he has corrected a few things that he needs to needs to work on, namely down and away sliders. So, but see, see, that's part of my problem though with what I'm describing. Like you, you can't go into this season with Austin Riley and it not come off as being very passive. Unless, like, unless you, you, you no, use that money you to can, beef up you somewhere can, else. Sure, but you can tell me, yeah, no, he's definitely adjusted to last year, but you have no proof that he has until you actually see it. And this is one of those off seasons. This is one of those rare off seasons where nobody can say the Braves don't have money. 
So it's not like that. This is one of those where I think prospect. I think you're right, and that this is the off season where trades have to happen. This is the off season I think where trade capital is more important for the Braves than the money in free agency because there's a lot of guys they need to. I don't want to say that they need to remake anything, but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of reinforcement that needs to happen if you want to be one of these great teams in the league. And I'm not saying that they're going to go out and, and trade the, all of the top seven. They're not going to be like the Cubs and give away their entire farm system. Um, but, but I think there will be at least one trade, maybe two, this offseason, as well as some signings. My problem with Austin is he's traditionally – while he does make adjustments, he's very slow at making adjustments. It usually takes him basically like a full half season at every level before he actually adjusts, um, sometimes longer than that. But this is not minor leagues. I would not be comfortable rolling into the season with him as my starting third baseman until I for sure know that he can hit the baseball and not strike out at nearly 50% of the time. Um that's just me. I don't think Mustakas would be horribly expensive. I mean, there's there's an oversaturation of home runs, which is what Mustakas brings you in spades. And he's he's a decent defender. He's not as good as Donaldson, but he is Mustakas is versatile as well. Um, he actually got to be a pretty decent second baseman last year. Um, all that being said, I'd rather have Mustakas than Riley, just because I know what I'm getting. Um, if, if Riley had ended the year better than he had, if he had started to look like he was coming out of that slump, then then maybe it's a different conversation. But as of right now, I don't think you could roll into the season with him as your starting third baseman. Well, sure. And it, it's still there's still a long, long way to go here. Let me present you with a, with a hypothetical here. Let's say that they, they do go out and they get Francisco Lindor, just, just to use a name. At that point, do you feel more comfortable using somebody like Riley? Because instead of having like you're looking at almost like a black hole situation if you go into it with you where you've got Dansby and Riley in there together, and that and that's an extreme term, but I'm using it just to make the example. If you've got somebody like Lindor who's going to wind up being more of a sure thing that you can plug into the lineup, basically taking the offensive role that JD had last year, do you feel comfortable plugging Riley in then, knowing that you don't have as much ground to cover? on offense and knowing that you also having somebody right next to him who's going to wind up being a better defender than Dansby so it kind of makes up a little bit of the defensive gap too that you would wind up having between Donaldson and Riley I mean <clears throat> you you tell me we get Lindor I'll be a lot happier with anything you decide to do this offseason um, it's not going to happen though I, I don't see a way that Cleveland actually trades him if, if it were to happen the this is just going by the there was a surprising amount of pushback on the Javi Baez trade that I threw out there on Twitter. Do you guys thought that that was too much for Javi Baez? You guys have no idea what it would cost for Francisco Lindor. Oh, it'd take a lot. And and once again, that that was just used the example to say like if they plug a hole elsewhere, um, do do you feel more comfortable using that? So I mean, <clears throat> I would feel better because Lindor is there, but it would not change how comfortable I feel with third base. Like I would feel. I would still feel fine about the team because we've got Lindor there, but I still wouldn't feel confident in third base because we have, we've got no evidence right now that he's going to be able to hit at all. And if Austin can't make contact, nobody's going to be afraid of that big power. That's, that's my big thing. He has to make contact to get to the power. And he did not do a great job of that last year at the end of the year. Now I understand what you're saying. Um, that, that, 
third base can be contingent on what they do on other positions. Um, it's just for me personally, rolling into the season with Austin Riley as your starting third baseman cannot be plan A, plan B, or plan C. That's fair. I will I will totally agree with you on that. Uh, if if that happens, either a another acquisition was made or something else has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, basically. Well, we'll we'll keep that tracked right now. Uh, today being Thursday the fourteenth, this is the final day for Donaldson to decide on his qualifying offer. He is going to reject it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he is going to be gone for next year. But how rude of him not to do that before that we recorded, right? We pushed it out as far as we could, man. We, we were going to try and wait till after five p.m. tonight, but there was just no way. So what a jerk! I know. I can't believe it. I almost want him to sign somewhere else. In the spirit of, of 2019 <laughs> Braves, who may or may not be coming back for 2020, the Braves did announce this week that Darren O'Day will be coming back on a shorter deal, one year guaranteed, with an option for 2021, making one quarter of what he made to pitch five and one-third innings in 2019. He's going to be making 2.25 next year. How do you feel about bringing O'Day back? I know that you, uh, you want somebody that throws harder, but when you factor in the deception and the fact that he was actually pretty decent for the time that he was here, are you okay with that deal? Uh, yeah, I'm fine with it at, at that price range. You're right. I prefer high-impact throwers. Like, I want Dellen Batances, and I, I that's who I want. Um, but you need to fill out the rest of your bullpen, and O'Day is a guy that has a lot of experience, and if you're telling me that he's not making $9 million or $11 million, then okay, I'm fine with it. Um, especially with the new rule coming into play this year, O'Day is a guy who in the past has, has been a full-inning type of guy. He's not been a, a roogie type of player. And I think that's something that can help, especially when you've got an extra man on. You've got 26-man uh, rosters this year anyway. But bringing in guys that have experience going full innings or, or going righty-lefty and not being hand-specific pitchers, then I think that's a good thing. And am I counting on O'Day to stay healthy the whole season? No. No, I think he'll get hurt again. Um, but at 2-2-3, two, two, that, that's not a big deal. Yeah, and and when you when you start looking at the savings there, you're looking at six three quarter million dollars that you can save. The Martin Melanson deal, I think a lot of people balked at when they made that trade because he's making fourteen million next year. But when you look at Melanson making fourteen versus Melanson and O'Day making sixteen and a quarter, combining those two, you know, this is a good deal that allows you to spread some money out elsewhere. I mean, this is this is kind of what what you're seeing on a lot of the moves so far where it's the buyouts for Marcakis and Flowers are going on the 2019 payroll instead of 2020. So they, little by little, they're making money available to themselves. As for what exactly that means, you know, we can have that discussion a different time. But, uh, but yeah, I, I like this deal as well. And if you're throwing 88, but you're doing it from a uh, sidearm angle, then it really does... It does give you a lot. He was good in the playoffs, the the five and one-third innings. I, I don't mean to make light of them. He looked fantastic for all 16 of those outs. So, uh, you know, it's it's a good move. And the bullpen's starting to take shape. I mean, last year there were a ton of questions about the bullpen going into the season. So now you you already got Melanson. Green's going to go through arbitration, but you're obviously going to tender him a contract. Luke Jackson, love him or hate him, he is going to be there. And you've got O'Day. So that that's four, four righties that are right there. As far as the lefties that are going to wind up being in the pen, I don't know if Grant Dayton's going to stick around. 
Uh, Jerry Blevins will probably not be around for next year either, but that does also bring in Sean Newcomb, who could wind up working in any, any number of roles next year. Anthopolis came out this week and said that Newcomb is going to wind up being given an opportunity to stretch back out into a starting role. Best to go ahead and have him stretched out so um, he can throw extra meaningful innings if need be, or worst case scenario, he's back in the bullpen. Do, do you want to see him transition back into a starting role, or were you okay with what you saw from him in, in 2019? I mean... You had to stretch him out as the start of this offseason because if you're going to float him around in trade rumors, you want to trade him with the value attached to a starter, not a reliever. Um, I, I think it's worth giving him a shot. Like I've mentioned this before. The other guys that you wanted to give the opportunity, they completely uh, blanked the bed. I'm talking about Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, and Tuki Toussaint. So, yeah, Sean earned himself another opportunity. Do I think that he's going to succeed as a starter? I don't know. Max talks about how big of a deal it was to, to learn the bullpen mentality and bring it to the starting rotation. Um, I also just think Max Fried is a better pitcher than Sean Newcomb. But if if being in the bullpen kind of makes him be a little bit more aggressive, if it forced him to sharpen up some of his off speed, then yeah, I think he could hold it down as a fourth or a fifth starter. Uh, I think he definitely earned the chance. I mean, he was really good out of the bullpen for most of the season, up until the trash can incident where he kind of tanked after that. But I think he's earned himself a look, especially while you have nothing else that's proven behind him. I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's any any worse of an opinion to think that Newcomb could be really good as opposed to thinking that Tukey's going to suddenly figure it all out or Kyle Wright's going to figure it all out. So, I mean, I, I'd give him the shot. We'll see how it goes. Um, if he does fail, we already know he can do very good in the bullpen. Uh, we also know that there's going to be a lot of teams that that fall in love with that arm. So he could also be he could very well be used as trade bait this off season. That's true. I I, I keep coming back to the idea that he would be one of the guys that, that are on the table because he's still young enough to dream on. He's still got pretty good stuff. He he still flashes um, occasionally elite stuff. It's just mega inconsistent, which is is what you're going to get out of prospects. So as far as filling his role in the bullpen, as it stands for internal options right now, then it looks like Sean Newcomb's job would go to A.J. Minter, who has got a lot, a lot to work on this offseason. Well, well, when you say that, no, Sean, stay in the bullpen. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it starts to get a little bleak when you you start looking at – at deeper arms in the system right there. You know, Corbin Klaus is out. He's got some surgery, and he he struggled at the, at the end of last year. Uh, Thomas Burroughs may or may not even wind up getting protected for for the Rule 5 draft. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of intriguing lefties in the system, but whether or not they can get anything done, it's, you know, that still kind of remains to be seen. So a lot is going to be going on there. We will, um, we will continue to track this if there are any more developments as it pertains to Sean Newcomb in the rotation or in the bullpen. We're going to take a quick break here on the Platinum Sombrero. We will be right back. Stick around and we'll do it all again. 850 IS if you need a lift. Who's the kid in the drop? Who else will slip? Living that life, some consider a myth. Rock from South Street to one two fifth. Women used to tease me, give it to me now, nice and easy. Since I moved up like George and Wheezy. Cream to the maximum, I'll be axing on. Would you like to bounce with your brother that's black enough? Never see Will exacting up. Rather play ball with Shaq enough. Flat enough. Like, yeah. Thought I took a spell, but I didn't trust. The lady of my life, she hitting. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, brought to you by our new friends at Manscaped. Guys, I'm one of you. I know what it's like when you have to trim down there. I know how 
how much of a nightmare situation it can really be when you've got some sharp blades and some very, very tender areas and some things that you think can't really get cut or some something bad is going to happen. Well, luckily, Manscaped has fixed all of those problems with their proprietary skin-safe solutions. They have a ceramic blade for their trimmer, the Lawnmower 2.0, which makes it as safe for your skin as humanly possible. That Let me repeat, as humanly possible. If you're like some people and think that that means that you press down like you're trying to get through three stacks of paper, you will still cut yourself. But if you're like a normal man and you're going for a normal trim, then the Manscaped Lawnmower 2.0 is the absolute perfect invention. Thanks to their proprietary skin-safe solutions, such as the Lawnmower 2.0 or the Safety Razor, the Plow, which, yes, that is exactly what you think it is. Manscaping accidents are now a thing of the past. Don't use the same trimmer on your face as you do on your balls, by the way, guys. That's absolutely disgusting. Be better than that. We're a gross gender. Let's not make it any worse than it has to be. Luckily, with Manscaped, they have a ball deodorant. They've got a refresher spritzer down there. They've got everything possible to make your nether regions feel like a king. We see what women do, putting all the makeup on, making themselves look beautiful and changing the way they look. Well, you know what, guys? It's time to care about your appearance. Put a little bit into yourself. The same way that she puts all of this effort into herself to, to make herself look good and so you find her attractive. You know what? It's time to reciprocate. Go to manscaped.com. Use our promo code armchair. You're going to get 20% off your order plus free shipping at manscaped.com. I'm going to say that again. Use the promo code armchair. You're going to get 20% off. Already a great value. And you're going to get free shipping. Just use the promo code armchair. Always use the right tools for the job. Your life, your lady, and your balls will thank you. All right. So, had a lot to talk about last segment. Before we get started too deep into this one, obviously we got to say thank you to all of our patrons out there and to you guys who are going to the Patreon slash TPS underscore podcast. Thank you guys so very much. Um, feel free to leave reviews on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is you choose to listen to podcasts. I don't really care. Just leave a review if you like it. If you don't like it, please don't leave a review. Um, no, but seriously. <laughs> seriously, though, thank you guys. You guys are the best. Uh, they're, they're, it's a lot of fun when you have when you know that people enjoy listening to you. It's, uh, it's, it's a very cool... It's a very cool experience. It's something that's kind of hard to describe, but it's very cool. Very, very much appreciated. But we do have a lot of stuff to get into in this segment. Obviously, we've held off on the major news uh, that, that came breaking down, and I think we're going to get into it right now. There's a few other things we can talk about, but I really want to dig into this. And that is the cheating scandal that the Astros have just gotten hammered with. Uh, ironically enough, they're they're getting it, – it's for 2017, which is the same year – that the Cardinals got busted for hacking the Astros' servers. So the Cardinals lost their first and second round draft pick and got fined $2 million. And that was for hacking a server for one team. This Astros team went on to win the World Series. They were using cameras in center field to steal the signs and know what pitches were coming. Um, Game day operators were involved in this. And then... If the hitters, if they knew that there was a changeup or an off-speed coming, the people in the dugout would bang on the trash can so the hitter would know that it's an off-speed pitch. This was going on for the full season. Uh, there's a video on John Boy's Twitter if you want to actually see a pitcher recognize what's going on, step off the rubber, change the sign, and there you have it. But it, 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 it brings up a very good question. This is kind of unprecedented in baseball. It's been a long time since we have a, we've had a cheating scandal like this 
people will point to the Braves, but theirs didn't have a direct impact on day-to-day games. Theirs was on prospects who were four or five years away from actually contributing. This is, in the major leagues, a team that won the World Series, no less. Uh, Doc, <laughs> things aren't looking good for Houston, man. What are you thinking as far as, uh, as, as, far as a punishment? It's it's kind of crazy. We were melt, met with a lot of kickback when when we said that you know we were kind of throwing our support behind Washington for a number of reasons. One of them being is it seems like they're always embroiled in some type of scandal, and this is another one on top of that. And not to make light of what they were just going through, but I mean, as far as like on field stuff, I mean, this is one of the more egregious things you can be busted doing. And you know, you can steal signs in baseball, you just can't do it electronically, and you can't have some massive operation going on, which is which is what they what they did. I mean, it's um, it, it's funny that for all the work they went to, the all the state of the art technology and everything that they wound up relaying the sign by banging on a trash can, which is like the most primitive thing you can do. Sean Newcomb nods an approval, um, and and even in 2017, the Red Sox had something they were trying to steal signs with a with an Apple Watch, which is like you know, very sign of the times, but this, when you start seeing all of the different video stuff that came out, you, you talked about John Boy, he did the, he did the video breakdown for, it was when Danny Farquhar of the White Sox, he noticed what was going on, and he stopped, and they changed the signs in the middle of the at-bat, and then you start to see all these other things where Houston came back down four in the bottom of the ninth, and, you know, just a ton of different examples, I mean, they were doing this all season long, you look at some of the splits, the home road splits in the playoffs, particularly in the World Series for guys like Altuve and Springer, McCann, Gurriel. Every it was they all hit better at home, and it's a it's a small sample size for that. But where do you really draw the line as far as you know in the playoffs and the in the different atmosphere? It gets kind of crazy. So anyway, like I, I don't even. I don't even know what an acceptable form of punishment is. Like, if this happened to NCAA, they'd strip you of a title, but I don't think they're just going to go back and retroactively say, hey, Dodgers, congratulations, you won the 2017 World Series. Sorry you didn't really, but this is the best we can do. No, there's not going to be a vacant space in the in the annals of baseball history when it comes to the 2017 World Series. They'll, they'll keep the World Series. They'll be an asterisk by it, but they'll keep the World Series. Yeah, and, and this it's just... Do you really think they were only doing this in 2017? You know what I mean? Like they they made it to the to the World Series this year. I mean, and Alex Cora, who was the bench coach for the Astros in 2017, who is now the manager for the Red Sox, he's getting implicated. So he moved on to Boston, who was already having their own sign stealing thing, coming from Houston, who obviously had their own sign stealing thing. Carlos Beltran, who was playing for the Astros back then, who is now the manager of the Mets. Is, is being implicated in this as well. I mean, this is far-reaching, and this is like, this is kind of a black eye on the sport. And Houston, had, I'm trying to think of a team, and this is coming from a Braves fan who just, who went through, we talked about in the first segment, two years ago we were, you know, waiting to get handed down the punishment for, for Coppola Gate, and, I mean, this is a massive black eye on the sport. Houston has just really made themselves mega villains here. They're like, not quite Yankees evil empire, but they've turned themselves into the Patriots of major league baseball. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's bad. Unless you're a Patriots <laughs> fan, nobody likes that. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Houston fan, you still don't care as long as you win, but the rest of major league baseball, Houston used to be a team that you could root for. Cause they have a lot of players that are really fun to watch, but um, 
after this, there's going to be a whole lot more people that are pulling for anybody but Houston. They're, you're going to find them in a lot of the same conversations as the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, as far as it being a black eye on the sport, I'm sorry to have to burst, burst this bubble for people. Every team steals signs. Ask Eric O'Flaherty. Every single team does it. Uh, and why wouldn't you? I'm, I'm not beholden to you. I'm beholden to winning for my team. Uh, and if your sign is easy for me to steal, I'm going to steal that sign. Now, where you get into <laughs> where you cross the line is when you start using electronics to set it up uh, and game day operators relaying it to the dugout in real time. Uh, they, they, then you start getting some stuff. They've already kind of curtailed some of that issue, though. Remember, there's like an eight second delay now from what they can what when they relay um, when they relay information to the dugout. It's like an eight second delay. So no more of that waiting right before the pitch and sending it directly to them. I think that was in response to the Red Sox fiasco. Um, was it last year or was that also 2017? I think that also was 2017. <laughs> 2017 banner year for sign stealers really? uh, but it's it's certainly going to be a huge sentence and it should be um th- there is a difference between stealing the signs when you're on second base and just sitting a camera there and being able to use the camera for every single pitch i mean it may not sound like it's a big difference but it's as far as the sport aspect of it every sport everywhere tries to cheat it's like the old racing adage if you ain't cheating you ain't trying i mean that that holds true it's it's very romanticized to say that no we just go out and integrity is the most important thing and we just play to the best of our abilities and if that's not enough we just tip our cap to the to the other team it's not actually how it works but you know it, it, it's fun to pretend it does um but it doesn't we'll, we'll see what they get hit with i would imagine those game day operators are going to get the copy treatment they'll get banned for life um, the Astros will almost certainly lose draft picks. I would imagine their first through third could be on the table. Um, A.J. Hinch is going to get a big fine because you can't tell people that you didn't know what was going on, dude. You've been there for two years. You 100% knew what was going on. And Mike Fires, he's going to get jumped the next time he's in Houston. Oh, no doubt. And so is Carson Smith, who was a Red Sox pitcher who was pretty vocal about some of the things that were going on as well and how the the – the bullpen TV just happened to not be, not be working in the in the Red Sox bullpen when they faced off against each other last year. I mean, I think that that part of why this is such a big deal is similar to why the why the Braves getting busted was such a big deal is because there was some precedent. The Red Sox got busted stealing um, or trying to circumnavigate the international rules before the Braves did. So when word came out that the Braves did it, they're like, okay, we warned everybody in the league, we have to make an example of you. If the Braves had been the first team to do it in that scope, they might not have been come down on as hard as they were. Also, the fact that Copy apparently lied continuously throughout the entire process, which I think is where a lot of the the punishment came from. But now with the the Astros, you know, the, the Red Sox got busted doing this too. And they said, okay, you cannot do this and the next team that does this we're going to make an example of you because there's a tiny bit of precedent where they went out of their way to say we're going to try and shut this down i think they're going to get hammered short of stripping the world series title they're going to lose picks they're going to get fined you're right hinch is going to get fined and there's going to be a massive crackdown at the stadium to make sure that nothing like this is going on at all because 
you're right. The the integrity of the game is always being kind of called into question, and everybody's always trying to find a competitive advantage, whether it's hiding a nail file in your pocket, having Crisco, Bardol, Vagisil, whatever on your hat, or, or whatever, you know what I mean, to try and get a couple more inches drop on your curveball. So you gotta be smart. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be smart about it. So I don't know. I, Houston has really gone gone from from lovable underdog franchise to just being to just seeming kind of evil. But one thing, one place that you and I are always different, and I'm so curious about your experience as a player. Like I sucked at baseball. I was so terrible at it. But you played up till when you were in college, and to hear you tell the story, you were apparently pretty good. Um, was that because you were stealing signs? Would you even <laughs> would you even want to be a part of that? Like because even when you look at like to kind of pull in something from from the outside, like Barry Bonds and the steroids argument. Was he on steroids? Well, of course, of course he was. You put his rookie cards next to each other. Clearly, he was on t- on some type of growth hormone. But it doesn't teach you hand eye coordination. You still have to if, even if you have the ability to hit a change up five hundred feet, you still have to hit it five hundred feet, even if you know what's coming in the in the case of the Astros here, even if you know a breaking pitch is coming, you still have to be able to do the work. I mean, and there's there's some video out there of Correa getting the sign that a, that an off-speed pitch was coming, and he still wound up getting out. You know, so how much of an advantage is this really? I mean, they won the World Series, so it was obviously somewhat substantial, but how much of an advantage is it really from the player's standpoint? And would you want to know what pitch was coming, or do you feel like you were better prepared to just react? Okay, well, I'm going to answer the first part of it uh, before we get into anything else, which is the is it an advantage? Absolutely, it's an advantage when you know when you say you know an off speed pitch is coming. That could be a change up, it could be a splitter, it could be a slider, it could be a curve. Most times, it's going to be a change up, a curve, or a slider. Um, if you see that that ball is starting towards the outside corner of the plate, you know not to swing because it's going to move off the outside corner. It's going to be a ball. Uh, if you know that a fastball is coming in, you see it heading inside, you know that you have to speed up your bat. So, yes, it is definitely an advantage. Uh, any extra information that you can gather is an advantage in a sport like baseball where you have three-tenths of a second to decide whether to swing or not. Um, it, 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 it's always been an advantage, but sign stealing in that capacity, figuring out somebody's signs, has been going on since probably two years after baseball was invented, if not that same year. Um the other question, as far as uh, there are potential pitfalls involved in it, um, some players are some players don't want to know what pitch is coming. They want to be able to react. Uh, a lot of a lot of fair number of hitters actually, um, when they go up to the plate, like George Springer is famous for this. George Springer doesn't, or at least what he used to say, um, he didn't go up to the plate thinking any sort of spe- uh, special type of pitch. Uh, he didn't think any of that. He just went up there and, and reacted. Now we can all know that now we already knew it was an off-speed pitch coming. Um, but there's a lot to be said for that, and there's a lot of people that, that have the same that have the same mantra. They want to be able to react to the situation because if you know what's coming, you'll kind of tense up a little bit, and you won't be as, as free and loose on the swing. Uh, and you're also more if – you, like, if you know it's a fastball coming, you're going to be a lot more likely to swing at it Irregardless of, of where, like whether whether the pitch is a strike or not, you're more likely to swing because in your head you know what pitch it is and you think that gives you the advantage, so you want to jump on it. Now, what was the final part? You wanted to ask if I wasn't was would ever do this or was involved in this? Yeah, did you cheat? 
Did you cheat at baseball, um, Dylan? Have I stolen signs? Absolutely, I've stolen signs. Uh, if if I'm on second base and the catcher's too stupid to to run more than two dummy signs, then yeah, yeah, I'm gonna steal those signs. Uh, it, it, it's easy and it helps out some of your hitters, and it definitely helps you out on the base paths. Like if I see that they're burying a curveball down in the dirt, and the, the pitcher's not paying a, a, attention to me, I'm just gonna take third because why wouldn't I? Um, if I've got a guy up at the plate who's and we're in a key situation and there's something I can do to let him know that hey you got a fastball coming I'm going to do that that everybody does that anybody that tells you that they've never stolen signs or tried to steal signs before they're lying that they're they're just they're not being truthful they want to pretend otherwise that everybody does it um, as far would I go as far as videotaping in center field no no that that's a little uh, that's a little too far for me um, did I like when somebody told me no actually i was much better if i was if i was able to just react if i knew what was coming i was going to be far more likely to swing at the pitch regardless of where it was um i would just get hopped up and i'd I'd get started but if i was able to react then it'd be a little bit different story every once in a while i would be fine with uh with somebody letting me know if it's an off speed don't ever tell me what off speed but if you tell me it's an off speed then then okay um but yeah i mean it I'm I'm a little bit torn on this issue because this is a huge cheating scandal and it really goes very deep. I mean that that's a very intricate cheating scandal, especially to get. I think the biggest problem for me is getting the game day operators involved in it. People that aren't part of the team, people that aren't involved in the baseball game, are in here relaying information to you. That to me is where it 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 goes apart from just being a part of the game because stealing signs is integral integral part of game as. Going in hard, breaking up a uh, breaking up a double play, uh, or brushing a hitter off the inside corner of the plate. Those are those are integral parts of the game that are never going to go away. Um, but when you get people that aren't involved or aren't on the team, who aren't involved in the actual game itself, then it, for me, it kind then it kind of crosses a line for me. Then that that's a little bit different in my book. It also kind of makes you wonder too. You hear all this about how advanced Houston is with their analytics and and what they're doing, and then you kind of have to look at this and say, well, how much of their advancement is is related to kind of unsavory practices? And if this something this massive is, is just now coming out, what else have they been able to bury? This this isn't like a a full on accusation saying, oh, I know you were doing something else, but it does. It does kind of make you wonder. I mean, every, everything about the organization that's come out, especially over the past month, has just been very, very negative about them. And where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's a there's a ton of smoke here. So I don't know. I, there we'll, are twenty. We'll, there are twenty nine other teams in Major League Baseball right now pounding the drum like, yeah, find everything about Houston, while they immediately try to scrub their servers. Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of emails and texts getting deleted this week. You know, we're gonna, we're going to find out eventually that uh, that Jose Altuve is is an actual robot, and that will well, be see. The by the way, by the way, f- to your point of is it better to know or not know? Jose Altuve in 2017 way better on the road than he was at home. Hmm. Well, and th- and that that is something else that came out too is that not all of the players on Houston were were down for this. Not everybody was. You know, make sure oh, you tell me what's coming. Don't don't buy that for a second. Every every single player knew what was coming, but some will be like, "Hey, don't let me know because it'll make me react badly." It's not, "Don't let me know." That's that's against the rules. I don't want to break oh. the rules. No, it's it's, oh. "Hey, don't let me know because it's going to make me suck." 
yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily somebody that's that's super wholesome saying, you know, I, I'm, you know, you guys are bad people, and I'm going to go be a good person while I strike out 36% of the time because I don't know what's coming. But uh, but it's it calls a lot of different things into question. And some of these these super likable guys like your George Springer and like your Jose Altuve, like how much how much were you cheating? You know what I mean? So it doesn't it, change anything for me. Like they're they're still likable. Like I said, the thing that bothers me more than the sign stealing itself is having people not involved in the game being the ones to relay the signs. That that to me is where that's where you really jump over line. And and if I were Rob Manfred, that would be the part of it that I'm actually coming down hardest on. It's not that you stole signs. It's that you had this entire operation and you involved people that were not immediately involved in the game. Because for for a team like Whoever you're going against, say say somebody stupid like the athletics. There's nothing at that point that they can do because you're getting signs stolen when there's nobody on second base. There there's no way for you to combat that, which is why you saw as Braves fans, why you saw Brian McCann last year throw dummy signs with runners on first base, sometimes with no runners on, because McCann was on that team as well. He knows what goes down, and McCann's a catcher. Literally every catcher knows all of this stuff. This this is just something that happens, but. Involving somebody that's that's not a part of that active roster that that's a little bit different of a low blow. But I I'm really kind of looking forward to in a very perverse way of seeing somebody else get hammered with the worst sanctions ever since the Braves currently hold the title, uh, other than the Black Sox. I would guess um, I'm I'm excited to see in a very weird way what happens here. I don't think Hinch would get banned. Um, because he can, there's no way to prove or disprove that he knew what was going on. Um, but I think that there's going to be multiple people banned, and I'll be happy when this kind of heat goes away from the Braves. Yeah, same, same here. And and you almost kind of sympathize with the game day operators because if AJ Hinch comes to you and says, "How would you like to help the Astros win games?" You say, "Oh, sure, Mister Hinch, I'll do whatever you want." And uh, so, oh, yeah. but 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 like you said, there there's no guarantee that he, that he was how embroiled he was in this. Watch, Brandon Taubman is just behind all of this somehow. <laughs> He's the leak. But uh, we there, from from one um, one team in a bunch of trouble to a fan base that has caused itself a bunch of trouble. There are a lot of we've talked a lot about free agents. There are a lot of big time players that are available, and we've mentioned some of them as like Francisco Lindor, Kelly Brown. Chris Bryant, I want to say Kelly Bryant like I'm thinking about Georgia, Missouri. Uh, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. Notice three of those guys are from the same team. That team is the Cubs, who are looking to make wholesale changes in the wake of Joe Madden leaving, heading out west to the Angels. This is a very interesting thing to me because the Cubs have been one of those constants for the last few years. Whenever they had Joe Madden, you knew they were going to be very versatile. Everybody was going to play everywhere. They've got that, that core that are still pretty young, but are coming up on that time where it's time for them to all get paid all at the same time. Um, Doc, if you if you were Alex Anthopoulos, how many times would you have called the Chicago Cubs by now? Oh God, I would I would have called the the <laughs> as soon as the last pitch of Game Five was thrown, I would have immediately reached out to Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein. Um, there's some pretty obvious matches there. Um, I think when you start looking at realistic trade targets, like you know, like we, we talk about Lindor, and you made a really good point. I mean, the, it's going to cost a lot to get him. Superstar with two years of control remaining. Um, Bryant, I think, may cost a little bit less than Lindor would, but he's going to 
he's going to cost a lot, but because of the immediate need right there, like you can roll with Dansby at shortstop and you can say, okay, this is this is fine. He's primed to take another step forward like he did the previous year and like he did the previous year. Um, but with Bryant, you know, if Donaldson leaves, you can say, okay, well, we need to have somebody who's a good defender who's going to give you average and power and be like a, a young offensive player uh, superstar who you can plug into the four hole. I mean, Chris Bryant just screams that all day long. Um, and when you start looking at Javi Baez, Kyle Schwarber, there's there's varying levels of applicability for these guys in the offense. I think Bryant is a very obvious fit. I think Wilson Contreras is a like a perfect fit, basically. Unfortunately, because there's so few great catchers in MLB right now, He's going to be very, very overpriced, as as he probably should be. I mean, there's a market inefficiency there that, that Chicago would be wise to take advantage of. Um, of these of these guys, you got Wilson Contreras, catcher, Chris Bryant, not Kelly Bryant. I went to high school with Kelly Bryant uh, at at third base. Uh, Kyle Schwarber at left field, I guess, <laughs> and Javi Baez, who's primarily a shortstop. And then I've got Jose Quintana on this list as well. Uh, just in case they're looking to shed a little bit of payroll, because I think he's due $11 million next year. If you can rank these guys for, for who you would want the most, where where are you with this? First off, I see your Jose Quintana. I'm going to throw him out and replace him with you, Darvish. Um, I mean, if they're looking to shed money, you is making more. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think I think you're right. Bryant is the obvious fit, and he's the obvious fit at the biggest position of need, except for maybe a Darvish. So I would go Bryant number one. Um Darvish, I would go to Quintana in your book, but Darvish is better than Quintana, so I'm going to go Darvish. Um, the this is where it gets difficult because Contreras is the better fit for the team, but Baez is the overall way better player. And if you were to get Baez, by the way, you're playing him at shortstop, not third base. You trade Dansby for pitching in a heartbeat in a millisecond. But I think in terms of positional need, I'd go Bryant, Darvish, Contreras. Baez, uh, and then Schwarber, I don't see a fit. He, he's not somebody that could play outfield here. He shouldn't be playing outfield for anybody. He should be playing DH. But I, I don't have any interest in Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, he he kind of made the list just because he's, he's often – he came up in that same in that same cluster with, with all of these guys. He was part of the 2016 World Series team. There really kind of isn't a great fit there. Especially, I mean, he's, he's made great strides on defense. Let's give credit where it's due. But he's kind of – a man without a position. He's not rangy enough for catcher, and if you're not rangy enough for catcher, you're certainly not rangy enough for outfield. But he can mash. So if when they start looking at making trades, I think a team like in Oakland would make a, would make a lot of sense for for Schwarber to wind up out there. Um, Baez Baez is a star. You know, he he really really just is a star, and I think that he's the the most likely to wind up signing an extension with them. But as far as Contreras and Bryant, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see both of those guys gone. I I would probably put Contreras as number one for the the most pressing need because he, if the Braves lose Josh Donaldson, it's not just about third base; it's about the cleanup spot. And Contreras, you can have a right-handed power hitting bat who can also hit for average hitting cleanup. I think that's huge, and Bryant Bryant fills that as well. But I think that he also is kind of not maxed out is the wrong term, but he's making a lot more money. Contreras is getting ready to go in his first year of arbitration, and Bryant is going to have two years left after 
after this one. He's already slated to make $18 million next year. So if you feel comfortable absorbing the prospect cost, because it will cost a bunch to, to wind up getting Contreras. You, you can also probably get him for, oh, I don't know, $6 million next year. And if one of the biggest questions with him is is framing, because his offense is obviously legit, the framing is the biggest question with him. You pair him with Tyler Flowers, and you let the two of them work together. Not to say that he would be a sponge and he would absorb every single thing Flowers tells him, but he can at least impart some of the technique, some of the positioning, some of the things that he needs to do. Because, you know, that's that's a big deal. Until the robo-umps take over, then, you know, which could be any time in the next 10 years, then framing catchers... <clears throat> Uh, they're going to be very, very valuable in this game. So if he can learn that and you feel comfortable with prospect costs, get me Wilson Contreras yesterday. Trade his brother for him. Wouldn't that yeah, be I'm just process? saying, coming from I, – I feel like I've heard somebody mention trade for Wilson Contreras like a month ago. Who was that? I don't know, but he seems like a pretty smart fella. Yeah, he does. Was that me? Did I say that? No, it was you. No, it I think was... you were the opposite. Oh, I don't see why they would trade him. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't think they'd trade him. I figured that that of the the other guys, that that Bryant, because of the big money, and because I mean they, and because we still don't know if Bryant's going to have two years of control or one. True, but I mean the Cubs have been very financially irresponsible. How much money did they give Tyler Chatwood? They gave him like forty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, and the other the other thing, everybody made a big deal about what they did with with Chris Bryant about trying to be cheap. But the other thing where they kind of failed in that aspect is they brought all those guys up at the same time. So they all reached free agency at the same time. They didn't do any early extensions with them, which is very odd for, for Theo Epstein, who's usually a pretty conscientious GM. But, like, how you can have Baez, Bryant, Schwarber, uh, Contreras, all coming up on contract extensions at, like, the same time, not not good. Yeah, and, th- and that's one thing that you saw last year with the Braves, where it's like they, they were being so aggressive with the promotions. Like, why do you promote that guy again? You're creating a problem that doesn't need to happen. Like, Bryce Wilson coming up in 2018. Like, man, he was – you just sped up his timeline by, like, two years. I get it he's having a good year, but, you know, the version of you that exists in 2024 is probably pretty pissed right now. So – I think that, you know, locking up Acuna and Albies was obviously a wise stroke, and I think you'll see Soroka free, like the the Braves being much more payroll conscious than the Cubs are. I think that that's one place that that the Braves have been very, very intelligent, and you'll start to see more of that. But yeah, Chicago, they kind of backed themselves into a corner, and so this could be the Braves' gain. It very well could be, and I'd be excited to see. I think the Braves and the Cubs match up pretty well. The Braves have a lot of pitching prospects. The Cubs have no pitching and no prospects, period. So th- there are some spots that line up there. There's there's a lot of other potential lineup pieces, like uh, John Gray is another one that I'm a really big fan of. looks like the the Rockies may be open to moving him. Th- there's, there's a lot that can happen this offseason, and it's still a little early to go full on into our – predictions and our full wish lists so i'm going to hold off on those until we get to another week um there's far too many moves that need to be made there's still too many there's still too too many pieces that need to um too many pieces of the puzzle that need to fall into place before you can really start predicting places still need to see what the resolution on bryant is going to be uh still have to see who's going to accept and and reject their qualifying offers and and you still i kind of like to wait until the the winter meetings kind of really get into swing before starting to speculate everybody knows we're at this point in the off season where everybody just knows like 
what the position hole is for the Braves. Okay, we need a third baseman or a middle order bat. We need a top-end pitcher. So, like, every single name is getting thrown around. And those are not all realistic opportunities, and they should not all be talked about on the same level of, of playing. So, I don't know how you feel about it, Doc. I kind of don't like to, to go too deep into who should get added, who should get traded for. Like, I like speculating, but I don't like I don't like going anything concrete on it until we can kind of see who's actually available. No, and th- and that's fair. And new names will will slowly start to leak out. Like we we heard this week that Lourdes Goriel Jr. for the the Blue Jays could possibly. I will I will break my own rule and say get me Lourdes Goriel, just because I, mean, I love Goriel. Well, sure, and and that and you know, and we we talked about John Gray dating back to the trade deadline. You know, as it, just being one of these pie in the sky. If everything falls right and the Rockies fall apart at just the right pace, this could this could be a thing that happens. But I think it was J.P. Morosi who came out this week and said that he could be one of these guys that's on the move. So, <clears throat> you know, by the time we record next week, we could hear that the a couple of other guys that we didn't even think were available are, are actually going to be out on the market. So it's it's fun. I mean, and honestly, I think we all just miss baseball. We just want to talk about this stuff. And I don't know about you, but every time I open up fan graphs, I get this this little serotonin hit where I'm like, ooh, the, the these colors make me feel good, or or, or BRF or, or whatever. You know what I mean? I just I like I get a lot of comfort from staring at baseball stats, which is I mean, probably... I've built and I've built and rebuilt the Braves probably 25 times since the season ended just by going through fan graphs. Right. I mean, it's it's fun to just, to just look at where the holes are and say, oh, well, you know, what would it take for the Braves to go out and get Matt Chapman from Oakland or or to um, swing a deal with with Cleveland? Like, realistically, what will it take to get Lindor or Mookie or what? You know, and it's just instead of, you know, spending three hours a day watching a game or, or you know, recording a podcast or whatever, then, you know, you, you spend your time wisely looking at, you know, fawning over Francisco Lindor's defensive numbers or, or whatever and, and just wondering how it's all going to fit so it's natural to to roster bait just um, you know don't do it too much or you'll go blind or at the very least you'll chafe not if you're using Manscaped <laughs> that's right way to bring it back home <laughs> <laughs> and with that I'm not going to make anything any worse we're going to go ahead and, and leave off the show uh, right there for this week Hopefully we find out some good news with the qualifying offers next week. We should have a little bit more to bring you guys in the in the way of free agents, who is available, who is not. Um, but all that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. Doc, thanks for joining me again, buddy. Always, man. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, next week. It will be one of our pre-Thanksgiving episodes, and we'll, we will talk about the things we are thankful for and much more. Thank you, Dylan. What a pleasure this has been. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week with episode 90 right here on the Platinum Sombrero. (laughs) 